This is part two of my conversation with Jeff Condon, a nationally recognized estate planning expert, author of the bestseller Beyond the Grave, The Right Way and Wrong Way to Leaving Money to Your Children. In part one, we talked about why families end up fighting about money and how naive parents can be believing their family is different because they all get along. At the end of the day, do parents owe their children anything? Welcome to the Executor Help Podcast, the show dedicated to help you settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, visit davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. The answer is no. You don't owe your children anything. You don't have to do an equal inheritance. You can leave as much as you want to one kid and nothing or or a smaller amount to another kid. And when our book first came out, uh, 1996, got the attention of Ann Landers, who was a very famous uh, um, right. uh, columnist, daily advice columnist. And we read, you know, my dad and I read Ann Landers every day. We liked her horse sense approach. We liked her no nonsense, cut through it advice that she gave. And she talked a lot about inheritance issues. She saw our books as, you know, Condens, I really like your, you know, your approach. It's real world. And I want to mention your book. And our book skyrocketed. Why am I mentioning all this? Because she mentioned in her column. And the reason is, is because she disagreed with our approach, uh, with our advice. Our advice was, you know, you know, even though you don't owe your children an inheritance, you know, you can bypass them, leave it all to charity. You don't owe your family members an inheritance, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you have no children. But our view is that your children are your most precious possessions in your life and you don't want to leave them in a in in conflict and disarray and upheaval over inheritance issues. Maybe they'll kill each other over something else, but not in our department, not over the inheritance department. So we say, yes, you can do whatever you want, but we would we we think that what you want is to preserve and protect the assets that you have to your kids and help preserve and protect their family relationships with each other. So, but Ann Landers goes, ah, forget that. Forget <laughs> that. You don't owe your kids anything. You do what you want. You don't have to give any regard with trying to preserve families in the inheritance arena. Okay, fine. That's just one approach. But, you know, you're talking to, you know, you know, uh, I don't know if this comes with the territory, but you're talking to, uh, you know, Jews on the west side of Los Angeles who are sensitive, touchy-feely people. Right. And as touchy-feely people, we like our families. We want to die knowing that our families are, my own family is not going to, is not going to be in disarray in, in, over the inheritance plan. So we're just, I guess this word is too strong, not imposing that on our clients, but advising our clients in that way. And if they say, Condon, you're too touchy-feely, this is the way we want it, fine. Okay, we just want people to make an informed decision. So the long-winded answer that I've given to your inquiry is <laughs> no, there's no obligation to leave anything to family members. And you know, when I hear that, I go, great. What charities do you like? Well, I don't want, we, you know, a lot of times people don't have an answer for that because they're not involved in charities. And sometimes, or most of the time, the only charity that anybody ever has a relationship with is when they're a patient in a hospital. Yeah. So now I have to ex get them to explore themselves. Say, okay, what are the causes that make your heart weep? You know, is it, you know, you know, is it kids? Is it dogs? 
is it manatees? Is it, you know, because you got to save the manatees, David. You know, the manatees are, are, are okay. Growing you say so. All right. Less. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it? Is it cancer? You know, it, and people go, wow, you're making me get, try to get in touch with my feelings here. And I wasn't ready for that. Well, if they don't, and a lot of people just feel obligations to leave it to blood. Um, so, and I say, no, you're not obligated to leave it to anybody. As long as you're competent and capable and you know the, and you can make and understand your own financial decisions, fine, do what you want. That's, you know, it's just as simple as that. But of course, I love to hear the sound in my own voice. And it just took me, you know, 10 hours to to give you a good response to this question. It wasn't quite 10 hours, but it was, it was <laughs> a great, concise answer. That's good. My, my next question is, today there's a lot of divorces and blended families. What could be done to help when it comes to the inheritance plan? Do you have a story where this is you, you have people come in and in this situation? I've got all kinds of stories for that. I'm just going to kind of give you the categories. What happens is that when parents leave money to a child, they forget that the child's going to be the owner of those assets. They forget. They just go, well, because it's so it's so in the nether. We're here now. As it is a concept, we get it. Our child's going to own the asset. But when they die and that child owns the assets, now what? Well, what they don't realize or oftentimes don't realize, the parents, is that now that the child has all of the parents' worldly lifetime of accumulations in that child's hands, now it becomes subject to that child's risks in life. Divorce, bankruptcy, addictions you know, belonging to a crazy cult and then just throwing it all to that crazy cult, getting into accidents with insufficient insurance, getting into malpractice cases with insufficient insurance, get, you know, giving it away. You know, you, you leave it to your son. Your son loves his wife. What does he do? He puts half of the, you know, he, he, he puts his inheritance in the joint names of he and his wife, or he's got a, a, an inheritance plan that leaves everything that he owns, including what he inherits to his wife. And then there's a divorce and she walks away with half of it. Or if he dies first, it, it, it all goes to her. And then it, then my client's lifetime of accumulations ends up with their deceased son's wife's second husband's kids from his first marriage you know, or what have you. Right. So you can see that it just goes so out of the bloodline to creditors, to 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 um, in-laws, ex-in-laws, whatever. So the point of this is, point is that you do not want to leave your child an outright inheritance. You don't want to put your child in a position where he or she can blow the dough in whatever way, shape, or manner, as in, or as a result of whatever vice or or um, kind of you know, family situation. So the solution is you. You want to leave your child his or her share in what I call a protection trust. This is not uh, something that's um, only indicative uh, or just related to whatever state you're in or whatever country you're in. This can be done in any estate plan. So you leave your, that share to that child in a protection trust. And it says that the income goes to that child and the principal will, can be used by for that child, for that child's health, education, support, maintenance, medical, you know, support is defined as a comfortable standard of living. So it's, you know, buy a house, start a business, you know, all of life's greatest hits, whatever you need money for. But what doesn't it say? 
what doesn't it say, David? It doesn't say you can give it away. It doesn't say that it doesn't say the child can give it away. It doesn't say that the child can leave it to anybody other than his own kids. And if he's got no other, if he doesn't have kids, then it would go to mom and dad's other kids. Or if mom and dad doesn't have any other kids, then it can go wherever they want it to go rather than let their child decide where to go, right. where it goes. So, and so that, now the, the question I often get is, well, if the child is limited from giving it away or leaving it to somebody else, who's around to enforce that? Well, the child himself or herself can be the manager of that protection trust. We call that the trustee, but that means manager. Right. And it's and the child knows that he or she is legally bound to use the assets for the uh, for the um, proper purposes, which are set forth in that protection trust, which I just talked about for that child's health, support, maintenance, education, welfare, all that fun stuff. But the question is, should that child be his own trustee? Because there's no policeman looking over that child's shoulder to make sure she, you know, he or she's not blowing it not throwing it down in Vegas on black on the uh, roulette wheel or misusing it or misappropriating it. Well, just depends how the clients feel about it. Do they want to tie a string around the child's own hands by having a third party be in charge of that child's share to make sure that the third party is going to be using it for that child's, you know, greatest hits in life. And when you say well, children, you're you're mm -hmm. you're talking about um, adult children. Adult children. Adult so children, basically, right. what you're saying is, you're saying that you want to be able to control them beyond the grave. See what I did there? See what yeah, I did? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, good tie-in. <laughs> the answer is there is a control, but maybe not. If the parents say, "Listen, um, I don't want to have." my child have to run to a third party manager every time, you know, he or she wants to go to Ralph's to buy, you know, to buy eggs. You know, I want them to have full control of the usage of it, but I want them to be able, I want to be able to say where it goes after they die. So they have to, and they want to be sure that's used properly. So they can put that. So, so if they have their own child be the trustee of that child's own share, when the clients die, I will say, listen, you're in control. There's nobody looking over your shoulder, but you have a legal obligation to use it for the intended purposes and not use it for improper purposes. So they walk away with in their heads, knowing that there is this legal obligation. But if the parents know their kids better than me, and if the parents say, Jeff, that's just not going to do it, you can sit down with them all day long. And the first thing they're going to do is give it to their husbands, give it to their wives, give it whatever. Then we say, well, maybe we need stronger protection. So that's when we advise that a third party, whether it's individual, whether it's a, pre a, a professional fiduciary, a professional trustee, be a co-manager with the children, with that child, or a just completely take the child out and let a third part, let that third party handle it, maybe till a certain age. Maybe till, uh, you know, you know, um, yeah, maybe like when that child hits age 50 or 30 or 40, whatever it is, then that child takes over as his own trustee. So there's that that's kind of the nutshell. And I will just tell you that if there's a trend in my office, at least in this regard, it is that the parents will have their own children acting as their own trustees. 
and that if their children know that there is a legal obligation to not blow it and to not use it for prohibited purposes and to not give it away and to not leave it to somebody else other than that child's own kids or you know, if none, then to other members of the family, then that is just going to be what, that's what the parents have decided because they figure that unless it's drugs or unless it's some super evident problem that's going to result in a risk of loss to those assets or a diversion of those assets, then the parents, the clients are happy enough with that child being in charge of his or her own share as his or her own manager. What would you say are the three ways you can do things wrong when leaving money to your children? The number one way of making it wrong is if you have you, you have your living trust and you have three children and you don't name them all as the successor trustees after you die. Because if you only name one out of three or two out of three, and unless there's a good reason why you have not made that omitted child as a co-trustee or as a co-manager, then the out-of-power child is going to gang up on the power, children with the power. And, and uh, all the feelings and emotions that come from being left out, you know, mom and dad didn't love me as much, didn't trust me as much, didn't think I was smart enough to do the job, then that's going to come out in the process. So, of, but, but suppose they're not really yeah. smart enough they yeah. um they could hold up the process you know for managing the trust and maybe it made sense to make two of the three or maybe one of the three well the, does that the, come back to ha have the conversation of why we're doing what we're doing exactly well that's true and that's a hard conversation for parents to have if the parents will say gee uh you know so you have peter paul and mary and they say mary you're not going to be we're not going to have you as a co-trustee uh you didn't graduate college your brothers did that's a tough conversation for them to have. I wouldn't want to have that with my kids. And just to omit Mary as a trustee, just because she doesn't have a college education. If I'm Mary and I think of any reasonable person, I don't think that's reason enough to omit that child as a co-trustee. I think a reason, a good reason would be if that child's on drugs, if that child is estranged, if that child's not receiving any share of the, of the trust estate, that child being cut out. I think that if there were 12 children, naming all 12 would be a tough call. I mean, not a call, tough call at all. I would not have all 12 children. I, I think that in the main, if there's not a, a good reason you can quote unquote sell me on to have a child omitted as a co-trustee, then you should name all your children because the cutout ones are going to make the the, the lives miserable of the ones who go, gee, mom didn't love me as much. Mom, dad didn't love me as much. They didn't trust me enough. They didn't think I was smart enough to do the job. The thing that I do get is I'll, they'll say, Jeff, we our three kids are fine, but too many cooks spoil the broth. And uh, so we just want to name one of them. And only one signature is needed to distribute the assets from the trust to the beneficiary, to all three of them equally. And we'll say, yes, but then, then we come up with all the reasons why you, uh, that there will be some family fallout by not naming all of them. And so the question that the clients have, they have to do a weighing act. They have to weigh, is efficiency, uh, is the efficiency of naming one as the sole trustee or naming two out of three as the co-trustees, is that worth the family fallout and upheaval 
that can result by not naming all of them. And that's not a question I can answer. Uh, it's a question that the clients have to answer. And I will tell you that after I get through with uh, all the examples that I come up with with my clients, when they are thinking efficiency, uh, and I show all these examples of family disharmony that has erupted in the perfect families, right? Because now we're talking money, we're talking power, we're talking control, uh, we're talking being on the outs. And I tell them all of the fallout that can come from that, they usually change their minds. I, you know, I do a lot of amendments to trust. And I would say that the number one amendment that I do is, is uh, from folks who have heard me give this spiel about naming all their kids and the fallout that comes from not naming all their kids as trustees is naming all their kids as trustees. So there's that. And you've asked for two other things. The other reason I've alluded to them before is not leaving your children, is, is treating your children unfairly in the inheritance arena. Um, and I've come up with some examples uh, of that. Um, you know, dying with the child owing you money, dying by, uh, without having equalized earlier lifetime unequal gifts or um in inadvertently or excuse me intentionally leaving more to one child just because you feel that child needs more right you know those are so, different ways so yeah all of those mistakes that people can make by not do um by not you know they're doing the wrong things is there one key or you know if you've got more you know two or three what are the right ways to do uh to do it to leave money to your to your children well it's almost like the tail wagging the dog, but the but the thing we want to do, that, that we look at the goal first. And if the clients are of the same mind as we are, which is preserving family harmony in the inheritance arena, meaning after parents die, when the children and other family members divide the family assets, what are the, we, we first have to recognize what are the issues in this family that can cause disharmony during that process. So the, the, so the answer to your question is, let's see what those problems are. Let's see what's going on in the family dynamic. Let's see what's going on with each child in that child's life, whatever problems that child has, or whatever problems that child's spouse or children have. And we work from there to see what issues come up and recognize what issues can cause divisiveness or, or loss of inheritance. And then we come up with solutions to, uh, to prevent those problems from arising. So I'm not giving you anything specific. I guess the only thing I'm giving you specific is you got to recognize what the problems are in advance of the parents dying so that those problems don't come up in the inheritance arena after the clients die. So recognizing you, the pro recognizing the problem is 95% of the solution. But okay, to do so that, you, you've recognized yeah. the problem, you mm -hmm. you're you're going to come up with solutions, but mm -hmm. you haven't taken that one do you I guess we're both going to say the same thing, mm -hmm. you need to have that final step and have that conversation. Whether uh, it's going to be uncomfortable because you're still you're still here now to mm -hmm quell over whatever her feelings it may be yeah. because it's, I guess it'll be a lot better because it'll be a lot clearer because you're letting people know how you feel right now, as opposed to they're guessing what you were, what you wanted when you pass away. Well, that's true, David, but before you even get there to having the conversation, 
with the client's children about what the clients have done, you first got to get the clients to do something. Absolutely. Meaning, meaning they have to be clients, meaning they have to go see an attorney. And David, I will tell you that most people do not have an experience seeing an attorney. They haven't been sued. They've never been divorced. They haven't started a business. They've never, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, that the first time people see a lawyer in their lives is when they see someone like me, you know, the one doing their inheritance plan. And that's great. But getting people to go to a lawyer to do that is tough. It's tough. And, you know, we used to think, you know, you know, we used to have some magic words to try to motivate people to come to see a lawyer to do estate planning, such as, hey, if you don't do a plan, then the state, then all your assets are going to end up with the state or uh, or the if you don't do a plan, then the law tells you what your plan is and the law doesn't know what you have in mind. If you want to cut out your kids and, you know, the law says if you drive without a will, you know, it all goes to your kids because that's what the law says. That's the laws of intestacy, you know. Uh, so yeah, so 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 so, uh, so we used to say that to them, and also there's going to be estate taxes, and so you got to do something to avoid all that stuff from happening. But people said, "So what? We're still not going to see you, Jeff, because you're going to cost us money." Well, the first consultation is free. Every consultation with an estate planning lawyer should be free, the first one. So because I can't charge a fee to tell them what the fee is going to be, and only at that first consultation am I able to determine what their estate planning needs are. And what they're not. Okay, so maybe that can get them in. Maybe probably not, because people are still thinking, oh, all you lawyers want to make money off me. I'm trying to resolve problems. And if people want to come to me to help resolve those problems and keep families together, great. If not, that's life in the big city. So I, I read something where it says, you know, 80% of the people in America don't have anything from an estate planning it's a, standpoint. It's, a, it's the same thing in Canada. So yeah. okay. we're both the same. So someone does make the decision, they're going to come and see. Uh, um, someone like you or another uh, another estate planning lawyer. Yeah. How should they prepare to have that first meeting? What should they bring? What should what should be their mindset? What should be the questions they should be prepared to be asked? Well, uh, I got my job is to make it easier for them to come in. So when they say, "What do we bring in, Jeff?" I say, "Well, do you already have your living trust or a will?" Yes, bring that because now we're talking about them. I want to see what they've done so far. But if they've done nothing, I say, "Just bring yourselves in." What about bank statements and broker statements and deeds? I go, bring nothing. Because now if you have them bring stuff, that's going to interfere with their willingness to come in because now they have to like go on a, on a hunt for documents. So I say, just come on in. And what do we need to you know consider? No, I will give you the issues to consider. So come in with the blank slate. I know that sounds weird because, because people say, well, I'm meeting with lawyers should prepare. No. First consultation is free. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to ask you questions about, you know, about how long you've been married. Have you been married before? How many kids you have? What? Tell me about your kids. Any problems in life that could pose a risk of loss of their inheritance? Um, you know, uh, you know, what are the, you know, what what are you know? Yeah, I'm going to explore. I'm going to explore those issues. And then at that point, I'm able to quote a fee because I'm able to determine what their needs are. And then they go from there or they don't go from there or they're stopping and they go, you know, say, okay, Jeff, thanks for that quote. And they may go to a lawyer who's going to charge less. Fine. Life in the big city. I've been doing this long enough where I know I'm not going to get every case that walks in. Yeah. So point is, and I, I know this is just completely antithetical to, you know, maybe what the answer you were expecting. 
you know, bring in your portfolio. No, no, that's bring not what's, in nothing. I just, just so <laughs> someone's going to for them to, to make the big step. Like we say that the, mm -hmm. the statistics are high, both in us and Canada, that they're, they're they, most people don't have anything. Mm -hmm. So for them just to make that first step, to make the phone call that I'm going to come in and see you or somebody else, what should they expect and yeah. what should they prepare? But you yeah. answered that by saying, you know what? It's our first meeting. You probably don't have anything. Just come in and let's have a conversation. Just come in and have a chat. Yeah, most people are. I mean, it's like I can't tell you know, I, you know, I've written this book. Right. So, you know, people are amazed to get me on the phone. You know, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You actually answer your own phone. Yeah, my secretary goes home, I answer my own phone. I'm not in some century city tower. I'm just a guy on, you know, uh, you know, uh, on, a, on a surface level, um, you know, it, you know, uh, a business building. And, but I don't have to write a book to know that people still operate and think that way if they're just getting a lawyer on the phone. People are intimidated. People think, wow, you know, that, you know, they've watched you know, television, they say, everybody's wearing a tie. I'm not wearing a tie. I'm dressed in a green polo shirt. I can attest to that. Yes. Yeah. I can attest to that. <laughs> so um, it just, just depends. I, I suppose if you're seeing a Century City lawyer who's charging $1,500 an hour just to think about your case. Yeah, sure. Maybe there's intimidation there, but I'm just a guy. I'm a guy doing this business. I'm good at what I do. I've been doing it a long time. I know what questions to ask. So, know, my dad in, to, in our yeah. so in our remaining moments here, mm -hmm. have you got any final thoughts that you'd like to uh, to share? Final thoughts, very interesting. Um, I don't think you should shy away. I don't think you, meaning folks who are listening to this, I think that number one, you should do an inheritance plan. I know that sounds obvious because that's what we're talking about. But if you want to control the way that your children receive their assets because assuming that they do need such control, then you really have to do something, even if it's a simple will, uh, you have to do something. And if you do your inheritance plan, you should share that information with your children so they know what to expect on your death, so that there's no surprises, whether it's how they receive it, whether they receive it, and the process by which they receive it. I understand. And it's tough for folks to talk about money with their kids. I get that. I get that parent that that the clients, the parents may want to shy away if there's anything controversial in that plan. I get that. But even if you don't want to reveal the contents of your inheritance plan, and a lot of people don't, because like I said, I've only had eight inheritance meetings after having done thousands of trusts for folks. And I'm not here to force you to do it. I'm just saying, you ask me any final thoughts, this is my final thought. Do your inheritance plan and share the contents with your children if you're comfortable with that. I'm not going to have you do anything that doesn't make you, that makes you feel ill at ease. There's my final thought. That's not bad. No, I think it was excellent. So having said that, um, how can people get in contact with you? Where can they get your book? Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. A little plugging here. First of all, no charge to talk to me on the phone through emails, whatever, you know, don't take advantage of that. I had some guy throw me just a million questions. I said, I can't do, I, I know I offered free consultations, but that's just too much. And he went and complained about me on Yelp. Uh, so, you know, keep it reasonable, but you can talk to me at 
3701. That's 310-393-0701. You can email me at jeff at condonandcondon.net. That's spelled J-E-F-F at C-O-N-D-O-N-A-N-D-C-O-N-D-O-N.net. Jeff at condonandcondon.net. I also have website at condonandcondon.net. My that would work for if somebody who's in the U.S. listening to you. Yeah. If somebody's in Canada, they can they can't talk to you, but they could go get your book. So where can they get your book? Oh, they can get my book on Amazon. That's pretty much where everybody gets it. You know, I've had people call me up and say, "Hey, I want to get your book. I can't find it. I'm not on a computer." Yeah, okay. We know you. We'll send it to you. You know, we're not in the business of selling books here at the office, but we've got some. Yeah, we'll send it to you. They're available at Amazon uh, Canada, Amazon BarnesandNoble.com. You, you, know, you know, if you just Google Beyond the Grave Condon. All of these sites are going to show up. And also I've written a second book called The Living Trust Advisor, The Living Trust Advisor. Again, they Google that, all these sites come up. And getting the book is not a problem. Unless you're not on computer, then it is, and then you just call us. <laughs> Jeff Condon, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, Jeff Condon is the author of the bestseller book, Beyond the Grave, The Right Way and the Wrong Way to Leaving money to your children and also the book the living trust i want to thank you for taking the time hopefully maybe in the future we'll do this again because you are never at a loss for words clearly and you use big <laughs> words but they were easy to follow so <laughs> it made it easier for uh for me and for the listening audience so again i want to thank you so much jeff for doing the show my pleasure david anytime you've been listening to the executor help podcast for more details visit davidedy.com or follow David on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter.